Hi, I'm Dr. Caroline Leaf and welcome to my podcast, Cleaning Up the Mental Mess. In this podcast, I'm going to be talking about how more work and less free play is affecting children's mental health. We know that there's a lot of issues with mental health and this is why I'm doing this whole series over this time period and for the summer vacation to give you things to really work on over summer to help with your children's mental health. And all of this information I've got in my latest book coming out on the 8th of August called How to Help Your Child Clean Up Their Mental Mess, A Guide to Building Resilience and Managing Mental Health. And this is on pre-order at the moment. You can you can pre-order in the link in the show notes and there's a lot of great pre-order bonuses and I'll tell you about those at the end. But essentially, I want to talk to you about the importance of free play and how society's changed, how we've become so work-focused that we don't allow our children to free play enough. So I'm going to do this in three ways because it's quite a lot of information I'm going to give you. I'm going to give you the definition of free play, even though you probably know what it is. I'm going to specify and spell it out so that we actually do this with our children. I'm going to give you some research into the importance of why free play is so important as part of your children's life. And then I'm going to give you some tips. I'm going to encourage you to subscribe to my email list if you haven't already so that you can get my blogs and these links to these research papers will be in the blog. Really listen to this podcast, share this podcast with other moms and with other and with caregivers and teachers and this will this information is going to help you to help your child so dramatically with their mental health. Okay. So first of all, let's talk about what free play is. A basic definition is that free play time is the idea that you allow your children to play without adult presence. Now let me stress that. Without adult presence. Doesn't mean that you just have to drop them off at a playground and never be there, but drop them off at the playground and sit in your car so you can keep your eye on them, but let them play or let them be playing in your garden or in your house, but not with you hovering over them all the time. So not helicopter parenting style, safety net style. I did a podcast on this. I recommend you go listen to that as well. The difference between safety net parenting and helicopter parenting. Okay, so it's an independent, basically it's the idea that you allow your children to play without adult presence. And it's so critical for your child's development because it helps them build decision-making skills and problem-solving skills, intelligence, creativity, numerous things that I'm going to highlight through the rest of this article. Key thing is it's allowing your child to play without adult presence, obviously within safety reasons, but they need to not be constantly managed. Okay, So it's independent activity of play when they're exploring their physical environment, they're exploring their motor skills, their language skills, their organizational skills, their logic skills, their collaborative and communicative skills, the list goes on. They're independently exploring those by the play that they are doing on their own or with their friends. Free of adult supervision, this is key over here. Not only is this free playtime good for their development, as we're going to see in the research section that I'm about to dive into, but it's also good for their mental health, which you're also going to see in detail with studies. As they, as they free play allows them to freely figure out their perception of the world and how to survive in the world. It's going to be, as they're playing, they're going to be faced with problems that they're going to have to solve and work out solutions collaboratively with those that they are playing with or if they're on their own, playing on their own. This engenders this deep search into the depths of the non-conscious wise mind and activates intelligence and creativity and builds all kinds of really healthy psychoneurobiological pathways that help a child become more resilient and therefore improve their mental health. 
and sets them up for life. Because in free play, it's like a mini version of what's happening in life out there because your friends will fight with you. Someone will hurt you. Someone will play this by this, won't play by the rules. Someone one will break all things that they shouldn't break in terms of what shouldn't, shouldn't be done. Things will, people will say things that they don't mean to say and that are harsh and hard. And so it's a safe environment to deal with those challenges that are inevitable and to build up what I keep talking about in terms of psychological immunity. But if we jump in, as adults, and plan the activity and supervise the activity and run the activity, that is not helping your child develop those skills. It's making them reliant on the external and not letting them develop that internal resilience. And it's hard to let go. That's why I'm stressing this. So let's talk about the research. So play is so important to optimal child development that it's recognized by the United Nations as a basic right. So free play is so important to a child's development and mental health that it is recognized by the United Nations as a basic human right for a child, a basic right of every child. Basically, this is the, a paper written by the International Play Association, United Nations Convention on the Rights of the Child, and the link will be in the blog. Okay. Secondly, children need time without directed oversight. In fact, there are multiple studies that explore this concept. Many of these studies compare how older generations, so that means me, I'm nearly 60, and maybe you who are watching, older generations had much more time to engage in a lot more free and independent play. One of the studies actually talks about how in just a few short years ago, 98% of schools in, at kindergarten level had, had at least one recess, and that's reduced down to 70%. I mean, this is like serious reduction of time that the child has to free play. I've worked in schools my entire career. And in 30 years ago, I can honestly say that there was still break time. There would be two break times where kids could play. By the time I got to this country and was working in this country, I got here 15 years ago and I was working in charter schools here and working and training teachers and going into schools and helping to create more brain, mind-brain friendly environments so using the, the neurocycle system as an educational tool, teaching tool, learning tool, emotional tool, and so on, I was absolutely horrified at the lack of free play that children have, the lack of recesses, how everything, how that was reduced, and how children were not getting enough time to move and just be imaginative and just play. You know, one of the things that I used to do in, in the schools, especially in all the way through sort of primary school level, was to actually have when you teach the neurocycle, for example, to take big, thick pieces of chalk and go out into the playground or into a safe area in the parking lot and make sure that there's no cars driving in and draw big circles on the ground. So starting in the center, a big circle in the center, and then draw like spokes of a wheel and the bubbles coming out. That's called a bubble cog. But big enough that children could actually get inside the bubble and they could dramatize a situation. So I would, for example, tell them a story and read them the story so they see the book and they interact and they listen because reading stories is another huge thing that's so important that we'll also be talking about. I mean, I talk a lot about that in this book as well. And then they would then have the little props or no props and then dramatize that story. Or if there was an issue that, that maybe two kids had a little argument or something, then we would talk about that and then we would actually enact that inside the bubble following the steps of the neurocycle. And we would leave that we would leave that out there for recess. So we would do this 
in a structured environment first and then just leave the chalk bubbles out there. And those children at recess time would go and jump from bubble to bubble, solving problems, making up new stories, making up new games. I mean, it was just like, so we were watching this and then we would bring the kids back in and say, okay, let's see what, you know, tell us your game, tell us, or stay there and let them then tell us back the stories and the creativity and the imagination and the problem solving that happened with these three, four, five and six year olds was astounding. And, you know, this is not something I saw once. This is something I saw repeatedly year after year in different environments, different countries, different socioeconomic environments as well, different political situations. When you allow a child free play, you are teaching them how to develop their mind. So critical. When you suppress that free play, you're taking a whole aspect of their development out. So another study was published in the American Academy of Pediatrics. And it talks about, this is an excellent one, talks about how American children with adequate resources may be limited from enjoying the full developmental assets associated with play because of a family's hurried lifestyle, as well as an increased focus on the fundamentals of academic preparation in lieu of the broader view of education. So what that means in simple language is that the the average American child who has American children with adequate resources are limited from the full developmental part of their developmental cycle when there's so much emphasis on preparing for the educational journey. So it's all about let's get educated, let's get them right from first, you know, preschool, get them to a certain level to get into the right kindergarten, the right preschool, the right primary school, the right middle school, high school college it's just this drive from day one and this study also talks about the hurried lifestyles that we've adopted where there's so much rush 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 and not enough time to relax that has changed dramatically in the last 30 to 40 years the study also goes on to say that play also offers an ideal opportunity for parents to engage fully with their children you know this is something that's so much so important now free play is unsupervised play but you have periods of unsupervised play and then you'll have periods of engagement. But by giving the children a model, like I, like I told you, where we would draw the chalkboards and the chalk circles and tell them a story and so these adults sort of guiding a, a fun activity and then letting them go and play and then coming back and sharing that kind of sandwiched kind of thing where there's a demonstration, then there's free play and then there's discussion around the, you know, what did you learn? Just an interaction, not necessarily an academic discussion, but an interaction, a deep, meaningful connection that, oh, I saw you were playing so nicely. Tell me about that. Or they'll probably just burst out with all the excitement and mommy, mommy, daddy, daddy, teacher, whatever. Look at this. And they tell you the story. And I can tell you from experience with my own four children and with working with patients and working in schools for years that this is what happens when you create this kind of sandwiching kind of effect where you do a little demonstration of a free fun play thing and then let them do with it what they want. You don't even have to do a demonstration, but you could just give them open-ended toys to play with, things that are like give them some Tupperwares and spoons. They don't even always need these hugely fancy toys. I used to give my let my kids take all the Tupperware out and go into our big garden and back we had back in South Africa and they would do all kinds of things. They would build things. They would create you know play. They would they would create little obstacle courses and make our dogs jump over them and and create like this whole Olympic games for dogs and get the neighbors involved and it was absolutely it was like sitting there afterwards and letting them. 
I'd sit on the steps of our house and just they would show me all these things that they had created and their friends come over and play. I mean, you know what I'm talking about because you did that as a child and perhaps you've given your child this opportunity to do this kind of thing. And I'm sure you have. But are you doing it enough? We need to do it a lot more than what we should, than maybe what we perhaps are doing. And things, we're not doing it enough because the research, in general, the research, the, you know, you may be the exception that you are doing it enough. But in general, that's not happening enough, that kind of thing. So this research shows that including a hurried lifestyle, changes in family structure have impacted this and increased inten- attention to academics and enrichment activities at the expense of recess or free child-centered play. So there's so much enriching that you can do that you are pumping your kid before they're even sitting up properly. They're already getting pumped full of information and trained to do this and trained to do that. And every moment of the day is just filled with all these, these enriching activities. But that is complete overload. It's more valuable to just let them explore. You don't need all the expensive toys and things. You just need to let your child be able to explore and, and as I said, take boxes and Tupperware and build houses out of boxes and build forts out of boxes and, you know, making little windows and building, give them, give them a box and some fabric and some paper and some things, whatever, junk, and let them create something out of that and make a story out of it. So this increased attention to academics, 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 and this constant pressure to enrich them and this pressure on a parent, I would enrich my child, they're going to get so much more enrichment from that free play. And I'm not saying don't do the enrichment, but it should be way less than the free play. The enrichment shouldn't, in a ratio and proportion, if I had to give you a sort of guesstimate of the ratio and proportion that is pretty much based on the research as well, you should be doing it like a three-to-one ratio. So if you're going to do one enrichment activities, have three free play activities. That's kind of a good ratio, three-to-one ratio of building that into a child's life. So some children are given less time for free exploratory play as they are hurried to to adapt to adult roles and prepare for their future at early ages. I used to get quite shocked when I went into some schools where they had so many resources and I'd go into the poorer schools where they didn't have any resources, literally. And I would find the free play and the creativity and development in the schools where they had literally nothing in the schools. Was They were so much more street smart. They were so much more creative. They were able to take nothing and make this incredible story and tell you these long stories versus the children that are really organized and Every moment is filled with all of these very, very structured type activities that are great if they're done in the right proportion and done as little as possible. Not This shouldn't be the main focus. And this pressure on a child to be thinking about, the, your children feel your pressure. You've heard me say this before. The pressure you feel, it transfers through to your children. They'll feel your pressure. And if you're feeling, oh, gosh, I've got to do this to get my child into the school. I've got to think now about what university and to get them into university. And this tension, I mean, my body's tensing up just saying it. It's not good for you or your children and your children are picking that up and it's not necessary and it's not going to do the best for your child. It's, some children can handle a, a higher level of that kind of approach than others, but in general, children need a lot more free play and will develop and natu- I'm not saying don't plan for the future, but don't make, don't take a child's free play away to plan for, plan for the future because you're not helping the child, you're actually hindering the child. 
they will be better prepared for their future with more free play. I'm just going to read from this paper. Some children are given less free play, less time for free exploratory play as they are hurried to adapt into adult roles and prepare for their future at earlier ages. It would be wrong to assume that the current trends are, are a problem for all children, as I mentioned. Some excel with high, a highly driven schedule, but they're still going to need the free play. Because we need skilled young people to be well prepared for tomorrow's leaders, we must recognize the advantages of increased exposure and enriched academics some of our children are receiving. Great, but in fact, many of our children, particularly those in, in poverty, should receive more enrichment activities. So I'm not saying don't, nor is the study, but it's the balance. So we need a balance of both. It shouldn't be extreme of either, but you need more free play than enriched activity. So even around the academics, when you're teaching them and enriching them, there needs to be a time for free discussion and exploration of that information, not just hammering data into the child's head. It's explain, help them understand, and then it's explore that data. Explore what that actually means. Give them time to understand and explore that sandwiching idea. The demonstration, the sort of the, the explanation, the story, then the acting out, and then the free play around that. The free play around that and then discussion around that afterwards. But even children who are benefiting from this enrichment still need some free unscheduled time. So the research and me. I'm not saying don't do the structure. I'm just saying reduce the structure. And that's what the research is saying. Reduce the structure and bring in more free play. So even children who are benefiting from this enrichment still need some free unscheduled time for creative growth, self-reflection and decompression and would profit from the unique developmental benefits of child-driven play. There are unique developmental benefits that are huge in a child's mental health and problem solving and self-identity and autonomy and empowerment. They feel empowered when they learn how to solve problems in a safe way. So really you are actually with free play enabling a child to explore the vagaries of life in a very safe kind of way and work out how to deal with that and come to the point where some things you can't fix. That friend maybe just isn't going to stop crying and they go home crying and you can't resolve it. You have to make peace with, you can't fix everything, you can't make everything work out to make you happy. You've got to accept that some things just don't work. Those are the kinds of things that will build the psychological immunity, this resilience in a child. So I'm actually going to jump over to this article because they summarize of all the research, this excellent research that, I've, that I'm going to talk about today that I am talking about. But this one, just a really nice summary of the factors that have changed the routines of childhood that have reduced free play. And some of these may be explanations for the current trends. So let's have a look at them. So there are more families with single head households or two working parents and fewer multi-generational households in which grandparents and extended family members can watch the children. So that community aspect has changed. So the, with fewer adult supervision during the workday, it makes it necessary for children to be in childcare and which they can then they monitor by adults during the day and or very organized after-school activities and academic enrichment opportunities, which are great for helping a child. You don't want to just leave them alone. But at the same time, those enrichment activities after school also need to be structured. The experts that are leading those need to also make sure there's sufficient free time in that free play. Free play, more than free, you know, free time, free play. Many parents have, second, second fact that they talk about that has changed the routine of childhood, many parents have learned how to become increasingly efficient in balancing work and home schedules. 
They wish to make the most effective use of limited time with their children and believe that facilitating their children to have every opportunity is the best use of that time. So their standards of efficiency, so we become efficient. And this efficiency, we believing that our children need to have the same kind of efficiency. Remember, however, you the adults, you've gone through your childhood, you've gone through your learning experiences, and yes, we can certainly improve all the time. And there's certainly skills that you've gained in terms of efficiency that you can teach your child. But if you're doing that at the expense of child's free play, then it's a problem. So teach them the efficiency, but don't make the whole routine in life around efficiency. That then, Because one of the first things that goes then is the free play, because it's not seen as something efficient. It will help with efficiency, because a child, the more a child is able to be empowered to self-regulate, the more efficient they will become. And free play is going to empower them to improve their self-regulation skills, which equals being more efficient. Then parents, this is a good one, parents receive messages from a variety of sources stating that good parents actively build every skill and aptitude their child may need from the earliest ages. This is an impossible task. This is why you need to go listen to my podcast on messy parenting. This kind of pressure will break a parent and it, it leads to so much pressure that it's going to be, it's going to just play out in Things being removed like free play and a lot of pressure on yourself and a lot of stress and anxiety for both you and your child. So look at all the great advice and look at all the great ideas out there. And there's some really good social media sites to follow and some really great books. And, but then there's some that aren't good that will just like make you feel, when you look at them, make you feel like, oh my gosh, I'm FOMO, fear of missing out, fear of FOPO, fear of other people's perceptions and so on. That'll make you feel worse about yourself. If you're feeling worse about yourself as a parent, because of what you're looking at, then you need to go and do a neuropsych and evaluate, okay, why am I feeling like this? You know, how is this playing out in all the signals? Why am I feeling like this? What is it? Write that down and then recheck it and say, okay, I'm feeling like this because of guilt. What can I realistically do? How can I channel that guilt? How can I build free play? And get constructive instead of just letting this energy go all over the place and make you chaotic. Go and analyze this and work out a plan. Process and get an active reach of how you can Take that information out there that's giving you great ideas, but that's making you feel pressurized and being realistic and saying, I can't do this every day. I can do three of these things and they could fit in maybe over here and I can try. And even if I do one, that's okay. I'm going to keep trying. You know, it's, that's the sort of attitude that we need to adopt and allow yourself permission to be messy in the process. Okay, so I love this statement here. Parents are deluged in parenting magazines and the media with a, a wide range of enrichment tools and activities that tout their ability to produce super-achieving children. I mean, the temptation to have a super-achieving child who's a superstar is going to be super in the rest of their life is so much pressure. Your child's a superstar anyway. Let them free play their way into superstardom. Here's your superhero brainy helping them to neurocycle their way through their mental health journey and play their way through. You'll see a lot of the activities that I that I give in this book, once the child understands the, as you're teaching the child how to do the neurocycle, you'll see the activities and the ways that I help you to do that are initially structured to give them the guideline and then they explore and then you have these discussions. So it's always that little three-part sandwich. Okay, so they read about parents who go to extreme efforts at great personal sacrifice to make sure that their children participate in a variety of athletic and artistic opportunities. They hear other parents in neighborhoods talk about their overburdened schedules and recognize it is the culture and even expectation of parents. Well, you know what? Throw that out the door. 
That expectation is very messy, creates mess in you, and what you've got to do is recognize the mess it's creating and give yourself permission to be messy because you can't do all those things. The reality is you cannot do all those things without breaking. Find out what works for you, select one or two strings, three things, get those under control, and then go look for some new ideas. But throw those expectations out the door. If you are feeling your heart palpitating and anxiety and guilt, and oh, I haven't done this, I haven't done that, it's going to come out in your mental health, and it's going to come out in how you interact with your children and your spouse and so on. Then another point they raised is that in response to the increasingly rigorous college admission process, many secondary schools are judged by the rates at which their students are accepted at the most prestigious centers of learning. So partly in response to this, children have been put under incredible pressure at school as well. And this has got to change. So in addition, many students are taking preparation courses for standardized entrance exams. There's just hardly any free time because of the home preparation. So this we need to stand back and say, do we want this for our child? Is this a healthy situation? Is this pressure that we're putting on them really, really necessary for their mental health? You know, we've got to ask some serious questions and work ways around that because there are ways around that. There's also the decrease in free play can be explained by children being passively entertained through television and computer video games. That's part of it. But once again, what I would do, once again, ratio and proportion, get a balance. So when my kids were watching TV when they were growing up, they always had to either be playing with Lego or something, drawing, whatever. And to this day, my kids will watch TV or something and they're doing something just to keep them. And then also the other thing I would do is I would balance it. If you've watched an hour of TV or two hours of TV, now you need to go read a physical book and read and, and just enjoy and immerse yourself in reading. That's a really great way. If a child is reading a lot of fiction, the, I cannot say enough about reading. It was on my number one prescription. Read, 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 read stories, read fiction, read nonfiction, read a lot, a lot of nonfiction. They're going to learn about problems and struggles in life. And as you read those stories to them and with them and they read on their own, so you give them the material for the free play. So that's a really great way of building free play in is to make reading a, an essential part of your, of your lifestyle. It's one of the main tips in helping you get yourself into a more, um, in your family life, into having more free play. A quickest way, honestly, like tip number one that I'm going to give you is read. Read, 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 read. Get to the library, good old-fashioned library, find one somewhere and let them choose a book. Let them physically go through that process of choosing a book. And then depending on the age, either you reading to them, once they can read, read with them. Even if they can read, it's great activity for you to read a great book as a family and read a chapter a night and talk about it. And that provides this incredible, it, it, it activates the imagination. It builds the brain. It builds creativity. It teaches the conscious mind of the child to take the, to, to deliberately intentionally, intentionally and consciously tune into their creativity in the depths of their deep non-conscious spiritual nature. It draws that out. And then if you add the free play, you've now provided content for the children to then go and explore and it'll come out in their free play. Even the video games and things, if it's controlled by the right amount in the ways that I'm saying, that can provide so much information for free play as well. So this great that time, some summertime coming up, go get that stock of library books. Don't make it like a rigorous goal. You can, if, if it works for your child, say, okay, let's do five books a week or whatever, but it make it enjoyable. And I'd work on two levels. I'd work on a level where you select a book that you read to them. That's a chapter book. That's like a really great story. And then read through that 
weekly or I mean daily to read some of that where you're reading to them and they sit and lie back on the either on the grass outside or you know in, in a comfortable spot in in your living room whatever and include you know all of it both partners and read and imagine and talk and read read a chapter a night or whatever and make this a, as five nights a week if you can and then over the weekend or whatever go see a movie and then you know Talk about that movie and, that, and then make sure during the course of the day that there's, as you're reading, that they're having the free play as well. And you'll see some of the story themes coming out in their play and, you know, just making them, if they want to come in and say, can I take every single pot out of your cupboard, kitchen pot cupboard, and you say, oh my gosh, that's such a mess. That's okay. A mess can be cleaned up. You can, in fact, make that a task, okay? You can take all the pots. You can do whatever you want with the pots as long as you help me repack them. In fact, I actually need them repacked because they don't fit in the door properly anyway. They're so squashed. So maybe you can help me work out a better organizational system. So it becomes a, a fun thing. If they turn the entire room into a bigger tent, I mean, kids love doing that. So what if they decide to create a whole show that they plan all holiday to to do and then they do a big show and there's a big mess everywhere you know what work with it because they clean it up at some point you'll create a time when you'll be able to clean it up i remember in our house in south africa we had this pretty big house and we had this upstairs area and this big property that they could go and play on but they would turn the upstairs area from the tv lounge all the way through to their bedrooms into this world of barbie and lego and i mean you could literally couldn't get through it and we would over the holidays let this whole construction happen and the games and the friends that joined in and the scenarios and the worlds that were created it was you know you'd see all the movies they're watching coming in and playing out and it was fantastic free play kept them going for hours and hours and hours and sometimes they'd fall asleep and wake up at night and I'd find them with their friends playing at three in the morning and then fall back asleep again and obviously that didn't happen all the time but it did that is great. That is excellent. And then at the end of the time period, you go back to school, you have to bring order back in and then it's a whole thing to you know, get organized, get little containers and whatever to get organized. You can be creative. As I discuss in episode 457 of my podcast, sleep is crucial for our productivity, well-being and health. It was such an interesting episode. I encourage all of you to go and give it a listen. But sleep is also important for our skin health and restoration. Imagine waking up feeling refreshed, your skin glowing without those pesky dehydration lines and dark circles. Sounds like a dream, right? Well, I'm here to tell you that's not only possible, but it's also within your reach. Magnesium Breakthrough from BioOptimizers has transformed not only my sleep routine, but also my skin health. Here's my nightly routine, which I have been following for a few months. I take two capsules of Magnesium Breakthrough with water about an hour before bed. The effects are remarkable. I drift off faster and enjoy deeper, more rejuvenating sleep. When morning comes, I wake up feeling refreshed, energized, and ready to conquer the day. I love that Magnesium Breakthrough combines all seven different forms of magnesium in a single capsule, giving you the full-spectrum magnesium experience you need for optimal results. Unlike other magnesium supplements that might be giving you just one to two forms of magnesium, it's all natural formula also includes cofactor ingredients to multiply the delivery of magnesium to every cell in your body so that you can absorb all seven types of magnesium at a very high rate. And for a limited time, visit magbreakthrough.com forward slash Dr. Leaf and enter the code Dr. Leaf 10 to get 10% off your order of Magnesium Breakthrough. 
Don't let sleepless nights hold you back any longer. Visit madbreakthrough.com forward slash Dr. Leaf today. The link and details will be in the show notes. Another thing in terms of, of, of that is to, if you haven't got grannies close by, like my children when we moved to the States, my mom wasn't and dad weren't close by. And even in South Africa, we didn't live close to my mom and dad. So I had to create a community with friends and friends that had kids. And it's easy when you've got young children to, to sort of create that community and help each other. So maybe, you know, typical thing, taking, you look after the kids one day and your friend looks after them the next day. Maybe bringing in, approaching the local old age home and retirement center and seeing how, if the, if the grannies, if you can take the children there and the grannies could read them stories. And so there's just so many ways of getting the older generation to also help with the younger generation and the younger generation to, to build that, that interaction between the two generations, which is so fantastic. So coming back to this, there's so many studies and, and I know this is a long podcast, but this stuff is really great. I'm just going to swing out a few more studies and then give you a few more tips. Another study found that six to eight-year-olds in 2006 were made to complete on average 11.4 more hours of school and homework than six to eight-year-olds in 1981. I just want to say that again, that statistic, it's scary. In 1981, six to eight-year-olds were doing 11.4 hours less schoolwork than six to eight-year-olds in 2006. So the amount of schoolwork children are doing has increased hugely. Another survey has found that children today have more structured schedules than before, with less opportunity for free plan, unstructured time, and more focus on academic growth. I've already said that. There's another study highlighting that. As a society, we've started to favor greater structure instead of letting kids just be. That's a challenge, to just let a child just be without going through parent guilt and all the pressure to be this curated parent and this curated, creator, curated child. Says Dr. This is a quote by Dr. Murray, pediatrician and lead author of the American Academy of Pediatrics and talking about the crucial role of success. Although it's important to acknowledge that academic achievement is highly important, I'm not stressing that it's not, we must not be too quick to diminish the vital importance that unstructured time and free play is playing into academic success. When you make academic success a goal and take away play as a punishment, you actually, what's it, cutting off your nose to spite your face, it's not going to help a child. I remember having one patient who, parents when they brought them into my practice they he came in for a bunch of behavioral problems and academic challenges and so on and when I was doing the, the initial interview and I would interview and, diag- and not diagnose I would work with this child for at least seven or eight sessions before we would even so in a very creative way as opposed to just labeling and diagnosing in 15 minutes like it happens literally happens in this day and age anyway what we would they were telling me that you know all the things that he was battling with and so on. And then they said, you know, so, so I said, well, what do you do? What have you been doing? And they said, well, what we did was we stopped the piano playing. And I said, oh, okay, tell me about this. Apparently this child was a brilliant piano player and just absolutely loved it and was would lose himself in the, in the piano. And for some reason they were advised that when things started going wrong, which actually, by the way, turned out that there was a bullying situation going on at, at school and that was what happened to the academic change was sorry was the source of the academic change but they were advised by teachers and I'm sure the intention was absolutely good but it had it was a disaster to tell the child that until their academic behavior academics improved they, they must stop playing the piano so the piano was then a reward because the child loved it so much 
And that was where the child would just really work out his emotions and it led to a lot of free play type activities as well. They, they were told to use that as a, as a, as a reward versus you know, they, they were seeing something that was critical to the development as a reward versus as an essential. And they said, and I, through a series of questions, we established that the academics really went downhill when, the, when this rule came in that you can only play the piano when you've done well with your academics. So it was limited. And I said, okay, first thing we're going to do is we're going to bring the piano playing back in. And that's critical. That's where your child comes. When does your child like playing the piano? When they come home from school, they love to play and then they like to go and play outside. And then we go and then, then, then they used to come in and do their homework. I said, well, reinstitute that because that piano is how they're unwinding their emotions and, and all the energy from the school day and schoolwork, et cetera. And then after that, you can, that's fantastic that it went into free play. Those two things are critical for that child's mental health and academic development. And they were going through a wobbly with the teasing. So we can address the teasing and how to manage that. And we can then work on some learning skills, but don't remove, add, increase the piano playing and the free play. And we did that and it was a radical, radical turnaround in that child's life, behaviorally wise, academic wise, relationally wise, etc. And I mean, I'm telling you this in a quick sort of few minutes. Obviously, it took a bit of time to establish. So, you know, that, that's just a little example for you. Another study, and a lot of them are saying the same thing, and you can go read the blog as well. We can be certain that in some families, the protective influences of both play and high-quality family time are negatively affected by the current trend towards high-scheduling, highly-scheduling children. So this study, this is a quote from a, from a study, so it's pretty established as a fact that when we remove the protective, this, this I love this phrasing, when we remove the protective influences of both play and high-quality family time, this is this this negatively has a correlated significantly correlated effect on a child's mental health and academic development. So we want to do this trend towards more scheduling, more efficiency, more emphasis on academic. More, I've got to achieve this helicopter parenting. Do this for every moment of the day is actually not. It's taking away a protective function. We've literally removed a protective layer. I mean, I love this wording. And it's a, it's a great way of understanding the protective influences. So not only is free play and things like, you know, which leads to high quality family time and reading being a great way, as I said, of initiating, you, you remove a whole protective quality from a child's mental and physical health. The psychoneurobiology needs to be protected. And one of the ways you can protect that is through free play. I mean, this is how serious this stuff is. Okay, so... Let's summarize this. I've said a lot. As I said, I recommend you subscribe to my email list so you get your hands on this blog and read the blog. And I also said, strongly recommend because I talk a lot about what I've just said in this book with lots of practical tips on pre-order. See the link in the show notes. So let's just, what can we do about it? Number one, it begins with working on ourselves, reframing what we see as setting our children up for success. Are we being led by the latest social media parent influencer? Or are we actually looking at the protective mechanisms of free play in a decent ratio of three to one and so on? The research also, are we looking at ourselves in terms of adopting the research that shows that all our efforts as parents, if we focus all our efforts as parents on just academic external achievement, it's going to affect their mental health. In other words, am I going to read those articles? Am I going to process? Am I going to believe that 
this free play is so important for mental health. You know, that's, so in other words, in this working on yourself, reframe how you look at, at um, setting your children up for success. What do you see? What do you reframe how you're doing that based on the research? Look and get a deep understanding of what this hurried, scheduled, no free play or limited free play lifestyle does for your child in terms of the protective mechanisms, mental health, creativity, imagination, physical health, the whole psychoneurobiological network connection, independence, psychological immunity, resilience, all these things. And remind yourself constantly about these studies. You know, provided these studies. So read them and find more. All of those have got links to other studies. But if you only read these so that you don't overwhelm yourself, take a couple of days to just read through these studies and work out a plan. To work on, use these studies to work on a plan for yourself to help you reframe. Then understanding this process that our life is defined by creativity and free play and free time and independence. That's how we find ourselves. That's how we truly can go into the world of organized structure when we have sufficient creative free time for ourselves and our children need this too. And we need this time just to be human and without doing something for an observable time, we need to be able to just move into these free, free periods of the free parts of our lives. You know, I get so many questions on burnout and overwhelm as parents and Honestly, a lot of that burnout and overwhelm is coming from trying to curate your child's life and structure it in such a way that you, you know, eliminate what you think are the redundance, which are the free play. Meanwhile, they're the most, literally one of the most important, hanging around the reading, the free play and the reading are literally up there on the top of priority list after love and caring and all that stuff is the free play and the reading. Reading and free play pretty much on the same level. Oh, a little reward at the end in a tiny portion of our life, this free play, creativity thing. It's actually should be the major focus. And then around that, we will then build in, be more prepared for the healthy structure, which we do still need and the academic work and the studying and all that kind of stuff. So just flip it around a little bit. You're not being a, this, I, I like this comment I made, I have to read this to you. You are not being a bad parent if you encourage free play instead of homework. Isn't that lovely? And extracurriculars. And on a balanced level. So you're not being a, pre- a bad parent if you say, okay, three days a week or four days a week, I'm going to just let my kids come home from school and play the piano and play free and do this reading and then we'll do the homework once they've unwound and done all of that. And then two days of the week we'll do extracurriculars. You're not being a bad parent. You're being an excellent parent. So free play we know is important for child's mental health. I've said that already. So guidelines of how to sort of build this in I looked at a lot of research and collectively for the age group that I write this book for, three to 10 years old, around about two to three hours a day is what a child needs in this free play type situation, which can include your reading time. So two to three hours a day of where you're reading to them, where they're reading collaboratively with you, where they're reading on their own, you know, to try and build all three in. And I mean, you can do the reading to them at bedtime. You can do the reading time alone. You can just before dinner, you could say, okay, 30 minutes, we're going to just read. Uh, they read on their own or they could be reading out to you or you could be collaboratively reading or something like that so you can work that into your day so maybe that's a total of 30 minutes or something or 30 minutes to 45 minutes of the reading and then around about two to two and a half hours of free play preferably when they get home in the afternoon let them have that period of free play to just unwind and release that energy and work through that energy and they may want to just play a bit of a video game initially while they're eating lunch and then go and play outside encourage that free play whether it's inside or outside weather dependent of course 
we need to be when we talk about free play because we're talking about free play that's unsupervised by an adult. Obviously, as I mentioned already at the beginning, you know you're not going to drop them off at the park and pick them up, you know, five hours later, and you don't know who's in the park. You know, you also just need to keep an eye that things, you know, if someone gets hurt, that you're around to help them and that sort of thing. So within obvious reason, but don't be hovering. Don't listen to everything that they're saying. Let them just talk. If they're having a fight, don't jump in, get involved. Let them resolve it. Only when it gets out of hand and they call you, and even then be very careful to just jump in and fix because maybe they're calling you because that's what they're used to doing. And you can say, hey, sure, you can work this out yourself. Try working it out first before I come in. And when you do... If you do have to step in, ask questions. What happened? What do you think you can do? And then another thing is when you, you know, in the free play, it comes along with you allowing your child to make decisions on what they want to do. So free play isn't, okay, you can play without me watching and this is what you can play. It's actually, hey, this is your time. What do you want to do? Let them make their own decisions. And what they want to do, maybe to lie on their back and just stare at the sky because that's what they feel like doing and have a little doze or roll around in the grass and count blades of grass. I don't know, whatever it is, it may seem to you like it's not structured enough. But remember, move off the structuring and just let them make them decisions and choose what they want to do. This is where they're discovering their interests and learning how to pursue what they like and what they don't like. Reduce extracurricular activities. Big one, okay? Reduce those extracurricular activities. There has been a rise in the last century of how many hours children are spending at school and extracurricular activities. I mentioned that. The studies that I provide have got a lot on that. Children today are actually busier than they've been in the past and it's impacting their mental health and well-being. I've pretty much established that fact. So, quick summary. The reading, so important to provide the creativity. Read to them. Find time for them to read to themselves. Maybe jointly read, but reading each day. Two to three hours a day, of, which includes the reading and the free play. Let them choose the activity. Don't you choose the activity. If you're always directing, that isn't going to help. So basically what I have here is another little ratio. When it's young, you could maybe give them a little bit of guidance and then they play something and that gets them going. They may come back to you for a bit more guidance. It might be sort of a one-on-one. You give a little bit of a, you know, Maybe you could play this if they don't know what to play. But generally, kids are pretty good at choosing their games if you allow them to. If they're battling to choose what they want to play as a young child and an older child, it's generally because they've been told what to do all the time. So they're so used to, okay, we're going to do this now. We're going to do this now. We're going to do this now. Just let them work it out themselves. If they come to you and say, I don't know what to play, say, nor do I. Do you want to just read something and then make a game or just let's read? That's a great solution. Okay. And then reduce the extracurricular activities. And in the process of free play, don't forget to allow them to make their decisions. Well, thanks for listening to this long podcast. This is a passion of mine. All of this helping children with their mental health, which is why I've written this book. If you've enjoyed this episode today, please share this with friends and family, especially now with summer coming up. And, you know, don't forget to pre-order the book. It's got so much in here that can help you to set up your life to allow all these great things like free play and reading into your life and helping children to manage the issues. I mean, I've had children that have learned this as three, four, five, six-year-olds, whatever age, but as young as three, four, and five that have that understand the neurocycle. And when they're out there doing free play and someone has a fight, they kind of walk them through kids through a neurocycle. They might not say, let's do a neurocycle. They just say, okay, and then start going through the steps you know you're feeling like this and whatever and they they start becoming these little therapists and that's actually a very interesting opportunity for them to develop their helping other skills and 
self-regulating their own skills and they've got a tool to be able to process through and solve this problem that maybe this little sibling is screaming and crying but this is a way of maybe dealing with it so if this has helped you go pre-order the book there's some great pre-order bonuses like a there's a webinar back to school webinar where i'm going to give you some tips on how to get your children ready at the beginning of the holiday for back to school so it's not just kind of like a couple of days before there's a great discount on brainy which is this character that i've created it's a cartoon character throughout the book. You'll see the car- Brainy cartoon throughout the book. And it's, Brainy is a superhero who's Brainy, who's your mind changes your brain. That's the concept. And Brainy helps you walk this mental health journey. So there's a toy and there's also a coloring book with all these different scenarios so they can color in and there's blank pages to also write whatever they want to write about the whatever they're experiencing in that moment. And this there's huge discounts on this if you pre-order. And there's some other pre-order bonuses too. So Hope you've enjoyed this. Thanks for listening. If you've enjoyed it, as I said, share this episode and leave a five-star review and share with friends and family so we can get this, we can change what's happening with mental health in children together. Thanks for joining me today. I hope you found today's podcast interesting and helpful. If you want more tips and help with managing anxiety, depression, and mental health, be sure to visit my website at drleaf.com. And to sign up for my weekly newsletter, where I also include a schedule of my speaking events and so much more. And follow me on social media. I'm on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. Just look for Dr. Caroline Leaf. Also, I love seeing all your posts on social media about this podcast. I love seeing what resonates with you and what you've learned. So be sure to continue posting and tagging me and letting me know what you think and how these tips worked out for you. And don't forget, leave a review and keep spreading the word about this podcast. Thank you for joining me today. I really hope you learned something new and helpful. Till then, I'm Dr. Caroline Leaf. This podcast represents the opinions of myself and my guests. The content here should not be taken as medical advice. The content here is for educational and informational purposes only. Please consult your healthcare professional for any individual medical questions you may have. While we make every effort to ensure that the information we are sharing is accurate, we welcome any comments, suggestions or corrections of errors.